Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, listeners. I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out MagicalMysteryCamp.com slash HelpingFriendly to learn more. Hey, this is Brendan from Umphreys McGee. This podcast is part of the Osiris Podcast family. Osiris is a growing community of music and culture podcasts connecting music fans with conversation, commentary, and of course, lots of music. Osiris works in partnership with Relics Magazine. Osiris. Hey everybody, it's the Helping Friendly Podcast. This is episode 145. This is RJ. I'm here with Matt. Hey Matt. Ho, ho, ho. I'm here with and Jonathan's here as well. Hey there. It really took me by surprise. Um, <laughs> I, and I have good news. We've been reporting on Brad's um, whereabouts recently and, I, and I'm happy to report that he was actually here at my house this weekend. And um, so I saw, he's alive and well and in person um, we hung out and now he's back with his family. So he he's taking a night off from hanging out with me. So you guys are going to have to live with us. But we do have two 
awesome guests, um, both of whom have been on the podcast before, but not together. And um, we're hoping that they don't yell at each other too much, but 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 it might happen. Um, first is is <laughs> Drew, who's at Drew Fish on Twitter. What's up, Drew? How you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And our other guest is Chris, who's at Chopaganda on Twitter. Hey, man. Hey, how's it going, RJ? Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, Jonathan and I had the pleasure of meeting um, Chris for the, I think the first time at the the fiasco that um, will not be named. Um, we had an, we had an RV Some, Somewhere party. in the vicinity of New York. We had an RV party and it was really fun to meet you in person. Although I thought it would have been better to meet you at a, you know, a concert. I, I mean, Bucky Buckingham's campground. You can't really beat that, can you? <laughs> you can't. You can't. Um, so I, I, did, I got a great dinosaur mug that day, so it's totally worth it. I mean, they had mini golf. They had a pool. What more could you want? <laughs> it actually was pretty. It was a. It was a fun night. But man, okay, we'll we'll just move on. Um, so <laughs> we're uh, we're about what three weeks away from from the New Year's run at MSG and. Um, I think December always makes all of us think of specific tours, whether it's, you know, December 97, December 99, and, and, and maybe a couple others. But um, <laughs> this this conversation started on Twitter, as many great fish conversations do. And I believe that someone tweeted something about December of, of 1995. And um, I don't know if you remember, Drew or, or Chris, where it started, but... Um, things kind of picked up from there. So I made a note to, to come back to you guys when December ran, you know, came around so that we could talk a little bit about December of 95. Um, Drew, is that something, do you remember how it came together or is it just something that you're often thinking about? I've, I've probably (laughs) tweeted that it's the greatest month in fish history about 900 times. So yeah, I'm, I'm quite partial. I saw 11 of the 17 shows and, um, and yeah, it's just, it's spectacular. It has absolutely everything. And, uh, and I go to it more frequently than any other period of fish. And that's been true since January of 1996. So it was like, (laughs) as soon as I started getting tapes, I've just been hitting them hard. So yeah, it's, it's wonderful music. That's awesome. 11 of 17 is impressive. And Chris, you, you, I know saw, saw a bunch. I saw you tweeting yesterday about, um, the 12, nine show, but I know you have, you have lots of thoughts on this, on this month, which, which we'll get into in more detail, but what's your sort of overall take on it now? I, I mean, it's, there, there's really two types of fish fans out there. There are those who realize that December 95 is the best month of fish ever. And then there are those fish fans who are either hearing impaired or not very good at fish. <laughs> and that, that really kind of sums it up. Um, unlike Drew, I only saw six of the December 95 shows. So I was a, I was a very much a noob at that time. And that month uh, solidified my fandom. Wow. That's that. Uh, thank you for breaking that down so simply. I hadn't thought about the two different kinds of fish fans, but now I know. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's useful information. It, it's a very, it's a very good litmus test when you meet new fish fans. <laughs> it it makes shops. total sense to me. I've been, uh, I've been advocating the twelve ninety five for a long time. I only saw two of them, um, but after I was done seeing twelve ninety five, I didn't bother seeing them again till ninety seven. So I learned my lesson. You, you did. Miss, missing ninety six wasn't the worst thing ever. Yeah, no. I, 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 I spent my time well. <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, guys, so, okay. 
we got we laid the groundwork here. So <laughs> in '95, there was I mean a lot of things were happening in in the fish world. Obviously, there's a lot of new music. Um, they were playing bigger venues. We've talked about that before um, here. But what was it about the sound before we get into the specific shows to you guys that that make it you know that make the month so special and important? Drew. Well, I first of all, it was at the end of a long tour, and that always, uh, at, at any point, I, I think it would be phenomenal, and I know that we're never going to hear this because they're in uh, a different place life-wise, and I used to tour half the year with my uh, classical brass quintet, and, and I get it. Like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not interested. I don't care who asks me to go on the road, even if they're heroes of mine, I'm not doing that ever again. But it would be fascinating to see them play this many shows in a row, you know, go for like two and a half straight months with one week off in the middle. Um, but the December 95 has got, uh, I mean, there are there are phenomenal segues. They're, the power that they played with in 95, it was kind of like the, the raw power of 94, but just a little bit more refined, uh, which isn't the best word, but a little bit more controlled. But they had... They had a gear and then another gear and then another gear on top of that that they that that like no rock and roll band that I've ever heard, certainly any improvisational ones I've ever had. Um, uh, the it was just it was amazing. There were uh, as we're going to get into, there were some shows where the setlist construction was not exactly what I was looking for. I saw four mid second set Son of a Mules in this month of which is just like it that oh like it's. <laughs> At least it's really long. Um, it's just it's, it's and and yet I I literally floated out of all four of those shows mm-hmm, uh, because mm-hmm. the highlights of every single one of them are just were just like there were fireworks. If you know, I think I know the word that Drew's looking for. So the thing about December '95 that makes it so special is it has the that next level improv that skill that depth that you have in August 93, that you have in fall 94, that you have in June 95, but it has this accessibility in the sound that just, it's something you can easily get into. Like for, you know, um, you know, something like those, the big summer 95 tweezers, the Fleezer and the Mud Island tweezer are absolutely amazing jams, but I need to be like by myself on headphones. And I'm not sure how, how much I'd want to see those again in the live setting. I mean, now I'd love to see them in the live setting, but I'm talking like back in the day when you want something you can more like sink your teeth into, dance to, kind of like groove to. Um, December 95 combines like this next level improv, this amazing skill, this amazing speed with this really accessible sound that you don't have to work incredibly hard to get into. Yeah, we we talked on, uh, I think it was maybe the tweezer overview that we did a couple of years ago, how it seemed like summer 94 through summer 95, they were really trying to push the jams as far as they could. And and that resulted in some, for lack of a better term, almost non-musical segments sometimes where they were were just sort of making a lot of rhythmic sounds and they they weren't concerned about that because they wanted to push through to the next threshold. But fall 95 seems like it's where they had the confidence and the know-how to keep pushing, but as a group, get to the next very musical section. Um, Right. Would you, would you guys agree with that? Exactly. That, that is the, yeah, that sounds great description. This is where the improvisation kind of became, really became and consistently became a group composition. 
Mm-hmm. At the same yeah, time. yeah, great. The other word that I really should have used uh, before was uh, patience. The fact that yep. they have the the power that they had and the ability to make the roof blow off of any building within uh, two minutes of any jam starting and the patience that they exhibited over and over and over again, whether it was antelopes or or um, uh, or or bowies or or hoods or uh, melts or or Mike songs or I mean, everything. They're just like the. The, uh, they let all of the jams breathe, um, and even though we knew where they were going and they knew where they were going and we wanted them to get there, they took their time. Uh, it, yeah, it's just perfection. Exactly. Yeah. And it, was, it wasn't like a 90, like 97, and man, I'm in a really bad position right now in which I'm knocking 97. <laughs> um, it's not like 97 where they would find a groove and they would be patient and they would let it breathe. This was still that incredibly impatient not a wasted note fish where like there was no downtime in the jams but it combined that incredibly impatient no downtime jamming of 93 and 94 with that always that musicalness that you've got post 95 yep yeah definitely and the 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 kind of mix between the patients and then when they are just like the tweezers from this month are just they're so high energy and they're so fast and the the bathtub gins they never let up but at the same time you hear so much patience um it's cool and that, that was a band like i think one of you guys said at the top of their you know abilities um i just want to say that you know we're about 10 minutes into the episode and if those of you who follow chris on twitter are probably wondering um if if we're if we're going to do any conversations about you know looking at this month in any way in terms of how we organize them or if we're just going to kind of talk through the shows but so so chris can you tell us um we're about to talk about one of the most you know revered months in fish history so shouldn't we just say that all these shows are great and not bother with you know ranking them and and having gaps and 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 tears and all that don't you think Boy, boy, did I just get set up here. So, um, yeah, so if anybody, fo- so for those who follow me on Twitter, um, it's kind of become a joke, uh, a monster of its own, um, the fish rankings. And, you know, there's always the question well, if music is subjective and it's a personal experience, why do you rank? Why can't everyone just listen to the shows and just enjoy it for what they are? So we're going to take go back a little bit and we're going to talk about what it was like to be a fish fan before you had live fish downloads, before you had electronic file transfers, when you actually had to put a little effort in in order to get some new live fish music. Should and we sit you, on your lap while you tell us this? Or? Yeah. Well, yes. Drew, well, Drew, you are allowed to sit on my lap and nobody else. Thanks, Joe. Um, can I rub your tuba while we do that? Absolutely. Well, I don't know what that meant, but let's just keep right on moving. This is a family program, guys. Come on. So um, back back in the day, you know, the typical typical tape trading is first you would do you would exchange tape lists with somebody else, and you would look at that person's tape lists, and you would see what shows they have and what quality of shows they have, and then you would say pick ten tapes off of this person's list. That person would pick ten tapes off of your list. You would dub them, send them in the mail. You kind of had to. You wanted to know what were the good shows, what were the bad shows. That's why it was incredibly important 
well, imported in the fish sense of the world, not in the worldview sense of the world, <laughs> to know what shows were the better shows, what shows are the weaker shows. Like the last thing you want to do is, you know, you're getting a bunch of Fall 95s from this guy who's got most of the tour. And, and you, you get pick, California. I was just about to say, you pick Cal Expo <laughs> off his list and you, you pretty much just wasted a tape right there. Yeah, but um, the, the dead were good there in 90s, so must be good, right? Sure. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and, and the Grateful Dead were famous for this when they put out the, the big hardcover Dead Base book every year. One oh, of the most right important areas of that book were the list of best shows of the year, best versions of every song, of every song, and it was a way that you could figure out well what was good, what was bad, and you could amass it. So then people will say, well, what's the difference between a tier two show or a tier three show, or you know what makes this show better than this show? And there really is no hard and fast rule. Um, you know, in the end, the music is subjective and whatever you love, you love. But I think it's, you know, one can probably say that, well, you know, to even to someone who is completely opposed to ranking, what is the better show, New Year's 95 or First Night of Tahoe from this summer? It's a pretty easy question. So, you know, then you start thinking, well, what makes one show better than the other? And as you listen, as you listen to more and more of Fish's music, you start hearing, you know, the subtle differences between each show, the combination of, well, what song, what are, what shows have the better set list construction? What shows have the bigger jams? And you can kind of formulate a general idea of, you know, what's, what shows are better than what shows. Now, does this mean that everyone has to agree? Absolutely not. But it's a good guide if you're diving in the Fish's music to understand, well, what were the shows that people thought were great? What were the ones that people thought sucked? I guess I just want to maybe defend the entire concept of art criticism, which just seems like it, it can sometimes people will indirectly disparage any criticism of art at all. And I just don't, I've at this point, I've, I think I've recorded somewhere, I don't know, 10 or 12 albums or something like that uh, through my career. And if you were, if you were to listen to every single one of those, and then you were to tell me with a straight face that you liked every single one of them exactly equally, then that's just telling me that you didn't really listen to it very much. I mean, there's just, there's no chance that you're going to like all 10 of those because they're all different, and f even and fish shows are quite different. I mean, it's just me buzzing my lips into a tuba mouthpiece. I mean, there's not a lot of, and there's a lot of different <laughs> variety of what the music I'm playing. But you know, I mean, it's so. But I also don't think that like a truly woke fan of Monet needs to say that they like every single painting that Monet has ever done equally, and that to, uh, and and I just wish that people were would understand. And also, it's okay to say that Monet, that there were uh, a few paintings in his career that really pushed some some boundaries for that were a stretch for him and that really pushed boundaries that really affected other people. Maybe other artists commented on a specific painting that he did, uh, etc. I just don't... Uh, and sometimes there's this unspoken thing, especially on the internet, which is, uh, you know, I never issue hot takes. They're always very thoughtful and, uh, you know... And, and well, well laid out. But... Um, you know, the, the internet, it can kind of like, and I also, it's cool if you want to just like everything, like that's fine. I really don't think that you need to decide one's better than, than the other. 
The problem I have is that when you then turn it around and when people go the, well, you should give your tickets to somebody who really, you know, who really likes the band. Um, that just, <laughs> oh, that makes me want to. Fuck every just, one of those people. That makes well, me want to bang my head against the desk. So I just, so I, 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 I appreciate people who are really big fans of things who can, I think in a, in a, in a smart and an intelligent way can comment on what they like more than other things and then why they like that and then defend it. And you don't have to agree with it, but I'm just wanted to take a brief moment to defend art criticism in general. Well, we know that you, uh, you walk the walk, uh, considering that you did tell Trey that he was playing Mike's song wrong. So I told him, <laughs> I told him more than once too. So yeah, that's uh, good. Repetition yeah. is the key. Yes, but it is. I just, I sort of wish, I just want to say I wish that Brad was here because he he has such a strong take on Monet that I think you guys like that that could have really gone on there you um, go in a lot of different directions. But sorry, Chris, go ahead. Monet, Monet ranked. Um, <laughs> and I want to just throw one other thing is that by by nature, if you're going to say that this is one of the better shows or this is one of the best shows, then that means that there needs to be worse shows or worst shows. You can't have one without the other if you're putting these in order in your brain. If something moves to the front of the line, something has to move to the back of the line. And you know what's kind of interesting is that when I when I do the rankings on Twitter and I, I go back and I rank older shows, um, people seem to appreciate it a lot. Mm-hmm. When I rank shows during a tour, it starts uh, firestorms. And think, yeah. yeah. Um, well, and, well that, and part ahead. of that's because we have so much. We have like, well, we had like recency bias is a thing, right? There's, it's a, it's a, it's a theory, and it's something that happens. It's also like because of the constant communication and the rapid pace of it all. Like we're talking about it an hour after it happened, and everyone's opinions are just different than plus, when you plus got some the tape. Of us just literally spent hundreds of dollars to have that experience, and we want to go ahead and pretend it was really True. great for just True. a few weeks. <laughs> sure, <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. Well, you know, I I have, in fact, I said on our last episode, I think, that uh, we don't rank things. So uh, I want to thank you for coming coming on here to do that for us. (laughs) (laughs) We're very, we're very, very dedicated to our I believe that the actual quote was, we don't tear shit around here. So I think that's about right. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. I almost drove off the road. Yeah. So, guys, this is going to be a two-part episode. We're going to start and, and Chris and Drew took the lead on this, on this ranking. Can I, can I attribute it to both of you? True. Uh, this was this was all Chris. Okay. So yeah. Okay. Oh, you, you you don't want to claim any any of this, do you, Drew? Well, I <laughs> I, I did tell I did say uh, on email that if he had gotten cute with what the top show was, that part two was going to be me flying to Denver and kicking his ass on live on the podcast. But he didn't he didn't get cute with it. So uh, in my opinion, some people might cool. d- disagree. But uh, so so I approve that part. But anyway, no, this so- is all this is all chop. So, so Chop, we are going to start, we're going to go work our way backwards. Um, part one is going to cover the, the first, you know, tranche of shows and part two is going to cover the, the top shows. And this, this, um, shook out into seven different tiers. And did you, um, did you start with a particular number of tiers in mind or does it, does it sort out as you go? No. Um, all right. Do, do you really want to know the method behind the madness? If I mean, is there yeah, a white yeah, do, paper? Do we? Or? Do we? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> no, the the method really what it what it came down to is, um, you know, when you when you guys asked me to do this, the first thing I did is I looked at all the set lists um, for the month of December. Most of these shows I've listened to. 
50, 100 times. Um, some of them I'd only listened to maybe like five, 10 times. So the ones that I hadn't listened to a bunch, um, I went and I re-listened to them. And then I started breaking them up in the groups. And I found that there was a clear number one show that no other show I thought was even on the same level at. So that's tier one. Um, then I found that there were two shows after that. I couldn't decide which was better, but I knew that there were no other shows that were better than those two shows. So those shows were tier two, you know, same process for tier three, tier four. Finally, when we got to tier seven, there were three shows left and I really could not figure out how I was going to order those three shows. So they all got lumped together in tier seven. And the general idea of the tiers is that um, the shows within the tiers can be organized in any direction you want. There's not a lot separating them. Um, but to jump a tier, you should have a really good reason that a show from tier seven belongs in tier six. Got it. Okay, cool. That's helpful. That's actually really helpful. And I hope that doesn't give away the the secret the secret sauce, but you know. You, you can't you can't recreate the the masterpieces. So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna start we're gonna start with tier seven because we want to hear of these shows and and there might be some surprises for people out there who who listen to a lot of uh, fall and winter ninety five. So so let's talk about let's start with tier seven. Chop. We have the the first one here twelve four, which is the first night of uh, of of UMass Amherst, and and, and one that Drew may have gone to. Uh, that is one that I went to. <laughs> so what 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 landed this in tier seven? Which again doesn't mean that it's a bad show, but in in terms of the highlights versus what what wasn't wasn't so great. And and I should say to the listeners, we are going to have some music in here throughout. Um, so you know, we will um, we will reward you. In my mind, when you compare this show to the rest of the month, um, it, it is still a fantastic show. And if they drop this show sometime in 3.0, it would be one of the better shows at 3.0. Um, but it's just rather unremarkable uh, for the month of December 95. Um, you know, and even with an unremarkable show, I'd still say that the Antelope is fantastic, probably a yep. must listen. Yes. The You Enjoy Myself is outstanding, and the You Enjoy Myself actually plays on the same on some of the same themes from the big uh, Rosemont ninety uh, Halloween ninety five. You Enjoy Myself. Um, first set, there wasn't a lot that jumped out at me. Maybe Drew, Drew wants to dissect the show further. Uh, stash, which uh, this wasn't one of the, it wasn't the strongest stash of the month, but all four or five of the stashes in the month are all uh, should be heard. So that was great. But yeah, it, it, largely it just kind of went through the motions, especially considering the the time. So I, I think Jonathan is going to try to um, fight someone over the internet about the next one. Um, Okay. Okay. Uh, Damn, I, I was really trying to set up hard, some drama but. here, but the what <laughs> another show that made it into the into tier seven is twelve fifteen, which is the <laughs> only um, show of the of the tour from Philly, which I think a lot of people, some people like. Um, Jonathan, do you have particular reasons why you why you like the show? Well, I was there, of course, but I I do like the show. I mean, it's, which feeds uh, right into Chris's uh, whole theory. Yeah. Well, no, being there is obviously a uh, generates a propensity toward bias, of course. But uh, it was a lot of fun. Set two opens with Tweezer Reprise into Gin, Jim, rather. Uh, the uh, Bathtub Gin is unique and has this uh, ro another rotation jam, which uh, I'd seen earlier in 
November in the tour uh, with this uh, one-time-only weird Fishman moment singing the song called Mallory, whatever the hell that was. It was bizarre. Um, <laughs> it was bizarre. Great Possum, by the way, ended the first set. Uh, I love that maze. No ha, wonder. Ha, ha. Um, yeah, just get out here, man. Come on. I'm going to fight you over Possum one of these days. <laughs> Cool. Um, it's going to be awesome. Po- Possum in 95 was serious. Yeah, serious. that's true. Serious. Yeah. They, they, they are, they're all blistering. 10, yeah. 10.22.95, which has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but that Possum, if you have not heard it, your jaw will be on the floor. Right. Maybe the best Possum ever. Yep. Yeah, I mean, these guys, uh, they were on fire. Everything was good in this time frame, at least good. You know, uh, even if it wasn't, as good as all of the other shows in that month, I think this one still floats really high, and so I love it. Uh, I don't, I, I don't necessarily argue the ranking because I can, I can see what all the rest of the shows are. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think this, if anything, it goes to show how good this month is. That if sh- that this show can uh, can be in the lower tier. Yeah, and you, can, it's okay if I crush yeah, your yeah. dream. If you, I crush you, your spirit, you can have now. your own Please opinion. Okay, so Please crush Jonathan's <laughs> dreams. Okay, so first off, this this is kind of a little uh, fun for me to talk about this show because uh, this show holds a very special place in my heart. This was the first fish show that I ever attended that I walked out of not feeling satisfied. Um, so it, it it is the birth of my jadedness. What? Um, you know, and wow, you're the, blame- the, Wow, we have this show to blame for this. We have this show be, to blame. This should be tier eight all by itself. Then, so here, no, I think here, that pushes it up at least oh, two yeah, tiers because of its importance. Fair here, enough. here's the thing. Um, the set list looks like a dream set list. It is so incredibly fun, but you have to remember that you're comparing this show to the rest of fall ni- of December 95 that has so many amazing jams, and this show doesn't have a single jam that holds up versus the rest of the month. Um, and, you know, if this was on any other tour, you can maybe excuse it, um, but not on this tour. I mean, the Harry Hood is the weakest Harry Hood of the month, um, probably by, by a a decent margin. Um, the uh, what else do we have? The possum's great. Every possum in '95 was great. The Runaway Gym is good, but it is far from great. It's far from one of the better versions of the year. Uh, it's ice in the middle of the second set when you still haven't had a great jam is kind of a soul crusher. The bathtub, <laughs> the, the bathtub gin. You think that something is going to start? Something good is going to start happening. And call me crazy, call me old-fashioned, but uh, when I'm already jam-starved in a show, I'd like to see the guitarist keep playing guitar, the drummer keep playing drums, the keyboardist keep playing keys, and instead we got a, we got a rotation jam. Um, you know, and it, the music that was my came second out of it rotation was kind of nothing. Uh, 2001, they were all standard back then. The Bowie yep. is one of the... If, Probably the weakest Bowie of the month, if not um, equal with another show from this month. So there's just there's nothing to really <laughs> sink your teeth into. And I can't believe that I've been put in a position that I'm ripping on a show that contains two Tweezer reprises. <laughs> yeah. Oh, by you the should... way, they played Tweezer reprise twice. So there we I, go. Yes. You should give your tickets to someone who actually likes the band. Yeah. I know. That's <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying. Bro. Um, this was only the second um, second set opener tweezer reprise ever the other one was at merriweather this summer which is crazy um yeah. so you know i don't know 
I, I don't know what else and to that, say. And that was the the other one was Good Times, Bad Times into Tweezer Reprise, and uh, I thought that shit ripped. So I'm sorry, Chop had a bad night. <laughs> you know, it did, listen, it ripped, and the I birth had, of jadedness. It ripped, and I had a great time. But when I got out of that show, there was nothing I needed to go back and hear again. It's and sort of that, like the birth that's, of that's the kind of. That's kind of how I judge shows. I mean, is there something that I want to go back and hear again? <laughs> I want to. I want to. I want a bootleg copy of this, like a CD bootleg with um, instead of the birth of the cool, the birth of the jadedness, with a picture of you on a chop. I feel like that would be like <laughs> I put good. that on my shelf. <laughs> Sorry, I, Jonathan. I, I will add on a personal note that uh, I didn't see them again until '97, and uh, I didn't get back to Philly for a while for fish, but. Um, uh, the next morning after this show, my girlfriend pu- had morning sickness and puked in the elevator. And then uh, when nice. we rode back up to the room so she could freshen up before brunch, some folks got on the elevator and stood in it. It was amazing. It was just an amazing moment. Well, um, was, she, what, was, was, she, was she sick because the bathtub gin went into a rotation <laughs> jam instead of actually jamming? No, my daughter Althea was inside her gestating. Uh, I, mean, uh, I missed that part. Oh, well, that's so, not funny. Yeah, so, so, so way to go, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe Althea was ahead of her time and she was upset at the yeah. bathtub gym Al- is all no, Althea really didn't like that it's ice placement no. exactly <laughs> well, that, that kid's been known to have some bad opinions so <laughs> so guys the other the other show that falls into tier 7 surprisingly one of the tapes that I remember getting um, in the in the spring of 96 or early 96 is 12.30.95 part of the the New Year's Eve run, of course, um, great hood, but but maybe I guess in your opinion, Chris, otherwise sort of not not terribly remarkable in light of December '95. I mean, th- th- this kills me to have to do this because unlike twelve fifteen, which um, I wasn't thrilled, you know, I knew there wasn't great stuff going on, and in the moment, um, I was at twelve thirty as well, and I loved this show so much. Um, I think the hood is just a masterpiece. It's probably the third best hood of the month, but it's still an absolute masterpiece. Um, the the wind down from the hood that segues right in the bag is amazing. Um, but you know the antelope is an unremarkable antelope for for ninety five. The Bowie is an unremarkable Bowie for ninety five. There's no big type two jamming anywhere in this show. Uh, and you know, there's that big old set of a mule right in the middle of the second set. So as much as I love this show and as much as I wore out the tape, you know, I just got to be honest about it. And Drew, I'm, I'm curious if you agree with me on this, because I saw recently that you were just listening to this show and having some fun with it. Yeah, the, the hood is is spectacular. Um, but again, a, a broken record. I'm going to make the same point like 20 times. If you edit out 18 of them, I understand. But it's like that's just <laughs> it shows you the strength of the month when there can be a jam that is as strong as the hood, which is an absolute all timer um, of a version of hood. Um, and I was yeah, I was doing a, a deep listen uh, to that like, I don't know, like a week ago or something. The homework for this uh, episode was awfully fun. Um, but that that hood, yeah, you're right that there's just such this is similar to making like a, trying to make a list of like the 20 greatest players in NBA history. Like there you you have like absolute mega superstars that like defined their 
their city's sports scene for a decade and a half that are like at 18, you know I mean? But that's because yeah. you've got like, you've got Jordans and you've got uh, birds and magic Johnson's and like, you know, the, the top is the top. So yeah, there, there are some holes here. I really had a great time. Um, you know, nothing compared to the next night, of course, but, um, but yeah, I do not disagree with where you have this ranked. Yeah, and I, I just want to throw in that the hood, which you know, just just says that this, this is, as Drew said, this is one of the all-time great versions of hood, and I have it ranked as the third best hood of the month, and that <laughs> just show that just shows you how well they were playing that song yep. in Dece- in, uh, in fall '95. Yep. So so we. And I don't think that the next night, twelve thirty one, is is tier seven. I think it appears later on, which we'll get to eventually. <laughs> um, but we do jump a tier here with uh, one of my favorite tweezers of of ninety five, the twelve two. That's the first uh, show in tier six, and and I guess is that a is that a uh, sort of notable enough jam that it that it jumps a whole tier. Yeah, I mean, the the best way to look at it is that um, there are no big monumental jams in those Tier 7 shows. Mm-hmm. Um, there just aren't any. They're great shows, but there aren't. Once you get in the Tier 6, you start talking about shows that have more to offer, especially more to offer on replay. And, uh, you know, God damn it, does that New Haven tweezer offer a hell of a lot on replay. Um, you know, that, that tweezer in my mind is one of the most, if not the most, ferocious jams the band has ever played. Um, I put it up there, right th- right up there with the Prague 98 Ghost. Um, there's maybe a, t- a few others. Uh, the PNC 2000 Gen is one that I think about um, as far as songs that go type 2, and they're just so driving, so hard. Um, and uh, even though this show, you know, the Reba is actually nothing, nothing, this, nothing, nothing to, uh, you know, to, to kick aside. Uh, so definitely give the Reba a listen. Um, but there's not a lot to this show beyond that tweezer. So, um, but it's enough to elevate it here. You guys just like dinging shows with Caspian openers, isn't it? That, I was. This I, is true. I did notice that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and also twelve eleven Trey with the big like we're gonna play this really really special thing, and then it's like Prince Caspian. It's like oh for the love, Are you serious dude. <laughs> Trey has always loved that song. Things and, have changed a lot, you know. These and the days. worst thing is that Prince Caspian was even even more awful back then than it, it is was, now. It, <laughs> so yeah, it had that like weird slow build opening. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Dragged out. Like another four minutes. This this we, tweezer is is outrageous. Drew, were you at this show? I was not at this show. I sure wish I was. Yeah, that, that tweezer is one of the most powerful things that the band has ever done.
the 12-2-1 may have been one of the ones that we included on our big tweezer retrospective um, as representative of 95. Just the the intensity that they're playing. There's a there's a point in there where it sounds like they just get shot out of a cannon. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to think of other examples from their entire career where it sounds like that. And it's not some sort of like, you know, gradual build or something like that. But it's just like, I don't know what happens. They don't even look at each other because there's video of it. You can see just all of a sudden they just like Fishman starts playing double time and they're just like going nuts. Um, it's, and it's really representative. The, the tempos, the, the entire fall It's is everything is like the tempo is way, way, way up and they never lose their cool. They ne- never go off the rails. It's amazing. I like the Prague ghost, um, comparison. Cause I think that's like, that's the highest energy tray I think that exists, but but this is this is up there. It's it's wild, um, and so that that's one. Yeah, so that kicks it up. I agree with with that with that ranking. Um, then you go to um, two shows actually that that round out tier six and that close out the the um, December part of the tour before the New Year's run, which are um, twelve sixteen and twelve seventeen from from Lake Placid. Did did you guys did you guys go to to either of those? I, I was at both of those. I was not at either Lake Placid show. Yeah, there was uh, actually uh, something remarkable happened in uh, the beginning of set two, the sample in a jar. Well, that was not remarkable. Um, the although that does <laughs> although that does remind me that the first time I ever saw a show with Charlie Dirksen, this was in Portsmouth, Virginia. I can't remember whether it was eleven or two thousand twelve, but we had been friends forever. First show we ever see together, and the band comes out and opens with "Sample in a Jar," and Charlie <laughs> flipped the bird to the band really angrily, and then sat down and started oh, checking man. his email, and it was awesome. Um, the, That's uh, incredible. Yeah, but what during Trey's uh, sample solo, you hear him stop. Some fan threw a t-shirt at him that actually like hooked over the neck of his guitar so he had to stop and rip the shirt off and throw it and he was really pissed it was just kind of like a mood and then um always money that third slot scent of a mule in the set two which was after yeah the the weird sample opener um and yet the the mike's uh simple week is really really fantastic um, but it just, yeah, there, things were just a little bit off this night with some great highlights. Yeah. Some really great highlights, but, uh, the, the Mike's groove in particular is fantastic. Yeah. Again, this is, this is kind of like why I had, why I had this show a tier above, which is that even though it's far from one of the best shows of the month, um, that simple week of paw is a must here. The yeah. simple segue is straight in the week of paw. It's a it's magic, you know, great, yeah, pure, great transition. And then the week of paw is absolutely fantastic. And then, if you go to the next night again it's a it's a bit of an up and down show um but the the hood is downright spectacular i have that one as the second best out of the month and then the tweezer tweezer reprise the clothes again absolutely spectacular like every other fall 95 tweezer yeah that's and and also the the stash um the uh excuse me not the stash yes the stash and the antelope from the first set are both really fantastic um, yeah, listen to every single stash from the whole month and you'll, you'll be happy. But, uh, I remember that this, uh, 1217 set one was one of the best side A's of any first set tape I had, which was the antelope mango tube stash, which was just like a phenomenal, um, and blistering versions of antelope and stash. And the, the tweezer segues into a, a page solo. That's almost like, uh, like a squirming coil solo, which then he drops straight into the reprise. And that's what, uh, what closed the, you know, the final set of the tour, which was, which was great. 
What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. You guys think because at this point, so the band had been on the road almost, um, I think almost three months at this point, right? Yes. Um, yep. So, Drew, do you think like at twelve fourteen, notwithstanding, which was the what fourth to last show, but these last few shows, do you think they were getting toward the end of the line? You think they needed a little break, or do these two shows just happen to? Um, I don't know. I guess I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I I would not be surprised if they were if they saw the finish line. Yeah, I don't care how nice the hotels are. I don't care <laughs> that if if people are doing the driving for you. I don't care if you're a rock star and everything's done for you. The road is hard, and uh, and I don't need anybody to keep me in their prayers because I got paid really well to travel the world playing the fucking tuba for a living. I mean, that's like a miracle, right? <laughs> But it 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 does it just as I put it I was on the road for 14 years I don't know if I said the number before but like I the way that I describe it is like you know the Colorado River didn't make the Grand Canyon overnight it's just like every day there's just like a few more gray and it's just it's hard it's really mm-hmm. really difficult and that's why you're away from family and you're just away from just the you know the comforts of home and I I have definitely sometimes the end of a long stretch of touring uh, is the hardest one. So I, yeah, I I don't, of course we don't know that they were tired, but I could kind of see them and they sure as hell were rejuvenated by the time the new year's run hit. I mean, those were, yeah, those four shows were, they hit the ground running there. So, but again, uh, flashes of brilliance at, uh, at both of these shows. I think that that's a, that's a good, you know, I never really thought of that, which is that, you know, Philly and Lake Placid closed the run and, you know, for, for all, for the, for as brilliant of a set list as Philly was, you could start hearing that they were running out of musical ideas. So yeah, maybe these, this was a re, this was a sign that they needed a little bit of a recharge. They'd definitely been uh, leaving pretty much nothing on the table. They were just throwing everything, everything out there right up to that. You know, we talk so much about December and understandably so, but there's still so much other great stuff earlier in the tour um, that, you know, it's it's a miracle these guys had any gas at all by the time they even got to this month. Yep. It's a wild tour. I mean, it's so, the, the tour is so dense and so awesome. Um 
It's amazing. So we're going to, that's, that's tier six. So we're moving up to tier five. We're going to take a quick second to hear about a couple, um, a couple sponsors. We're excited to have Simple Contacts as a sponsor once again. We love to have these companies that solve tasks for us, and this is one that solves the complicated process of getting contacts that I've talked about on previous episodes. If you wear contacts like me, you know that you have to get a new prescription each year just to buy more contacts. Simple Contacts is changing all of that by using technology to make renewing your prescription and buying more contacts super simple. Using your computer or phone, you take the online vision test in five minutes from anywhere like your couch. If you're waiting on your couch, maybe watching Couch Report before a fish comes on, you can do the test then. Then, a real doctor reviews your test in 24 hours and writes you a prescription. And then, boom, a fresh supply of contacts is on its way. So no more appointments, no more waiting rooms, no more overpaying, etc. As an HF Pod listener, you can get $20 off of your first order. If you want to save $20, go to simplecontacts.com slash HFPod or enter the code HFPod at checkout. I do have to tell you that this is not a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. You're still going to want to see your doctor periodically to get all of the range of tests that they usually do when you go to see them. But this is the most convenient way to renew a prescription and reorder your contacts if your vision hasn't changed. So try it out while you're waiting on your couch before the couch report starts from the upcoming Madison Square Garden shows and get $20 off. That's simplecontacts.com slash HFPod or use the code HFPod at checkout. We're excited to talk about a new sponsor this week, Kushco. Have you seen those amazing containers that cannabis comes in these days, like the cool plastic tubes for joints or the the glass containers for concentrates or the the edible packaging? Um, There's a revolution happening in packaging, and, and Kushco is an industry leader in this. They create packaging to adhere to guidelines and to stay safe and, and innovative. And um, we want you to check out their uh, check out what they're up to at kushko.com slash podcast. Kushko Holdings is a publicly traded company under the ticker KSHB and the parent to a bunch of other innovative cannabis industry leaders. And they've sold more than a billion units um, to more than 5,000 dispensaries, growers, and producers across North America, South America, and Europe. So they're doing a lot, but they're also um, sharing a lot of their learning and um, sharing a lot of their innovation on their website. So again, go to kushko.com slash podcast to see all the really cool stuff they're doing. And we appreciate them being a sponsor. All right, guys, we're getting into um, tier five. So, Chris, I'm curious about this because I, um, I I saw my first show in October of 95 at uh, the Palace. And this next show, 12-8, was one that um, Brad actually went to uh, and a lot of my friends, but I didn't make it to. Why did this one um, jump up a little bit from, from the ones we've talked about thus far? Okay, so you're talking about 12. We're drawing 12-8 now? Yeah. Cleveland. So, um, you know, it's kind of funny. This was one of the ones that, um, uh, one of the tapes that I did not wear out back in the day. And I thought this was going to be, uh, a little lower, um, on the rung versus, versus at the other shows. Um, then, uh, I threw the tape on and the 2001 tweezer Kung tweezer segment is so damn good. And then go the reprise into Antelope again, so damn good. You get the Beatles double down for the encore for John Lennon's birthday. 
Uh, or no, John Lennon's death day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the opposite, but still a day. <laughs> For his death day. Um, you know, and then you look at the first set and, you know, the runaway gym is, you know, it's solid, if not spectacular. The fluff head is played to perfection. Um, you know, maybe I didn't notice that Caspian was played this night or I would have dropped it a tear. Um, uh, <laughs> but just, just in going over the shows, I just thought that, that, you know, the, the construction of this show, especially the second set, uh, combined with the strength of the tweezer, the strength of the reprise antelope, and then the double down on the Beatles encore, um, had the count for something and elevated above those, those three shows, uh, sorry, elevated above the previous tier. Yeah, this is also a show that I did not wear out back in the day. I was not at this one, but but yeah, up, upon reexamining, I also think it's better, and it's obviously overshadowed by the by the next night, and um, and also yeah, I think the fact that it's overshadowed, and also that it was one of the ones that I didn't make it to. Um, you know, I'm much more likely to, especially then, without having the benefit of, I was much more likely to get a tape of a show that I was at, of course. Um, and, uh, oh, yeah. and I did get the, I did get this second set, but, but didn't, didn't wear it out. But, um, but that wasn't necessarily a rational decision in retrospect. <laughs> are there any rational decisions in fish? I mean, no. you know, all of, of my decisions are rational and all of my <laughs> takes are thoughtful. Yeah, we, we, we could probably do an entire podcast on all of the horrible things that I said back in 95 and 96 and 97. Um, there, there's really no rhyme or reason. I'm well, free just, tomorrow. anyway moving on there's the next uh, this the other show in this tier also has a has a caspian which uh, i see a a theme theme developing here at least at these these tiers um this might be surprising to some people because i think this show is one of the most well known probably because of some of the antics but um 12 11 in portland um cumberland county civic center there's an uh, fish.net describes the the Bowie, which I think we're going to listen to a little bit of, as haunting, ghoulish, and riveting, which I <laughs> completely agree with. But um, this show, Chris, this show is um, I think pretty highly regarded by folks. Um, and again, not saying that it's that it's not here, but where, why did it fall here? Um, you know, I'm going to be honest on this one. Um, I sort of have some regrets, and this show should probably be, be one more tier higher. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm just going to go back to it, which is that the month is so damn good. Um, you know, this show, it's the, the Bowie is fantastic. It's the best Bowie of the month. Um, the hood is great. The Reeb is great. But then you've also got that big old, uh, scent of a mule in the middle of the second set. Um, you know, it's. You know, it's you know, it's really this was one of the tougher ones to place because it doesn't necessarily have the same amount of meat that the shows above it have, but at the same time, it's still just an absolutely fantastic show.
This one is a really hard one for me to be rational about because this is one of the most fun shows I've ever attended. Um, my my number one tune that I was chasing at that point in time was Tube, and they were only playing it once a tour. And I had um, I saw six or seven shows in October, and then I had these eleven lined up, and so you know I I still probably wasn't going to catch it, but I had a I had a decent chance. And then they played it in Austin. Like, uh, you know, a week before I started the tour and I cursed loudly in the library at Northwestern University when I saw that. And um, and then they and then they dropped it. And I absolutely when I got home to my uh, to my parents house, I was home from, you know, on break. I actually busted into their room at two thirty in the morning and and my mom set up shit. How was the show? And I said, Mom, they played tube. And then I ran. <laughs> uh, then I ran to the other end of the house. So, um, yeah. Awesome. And it, and they're good parents, so they were like, "Oh, oh, good, good for you, honey." And then she went back to sleep. So, um, but the the dog log stuff was just—I mean, it was just like all time epic antics. Uh, I actually had a chance to ask Trey about that a couple of years ago. Um, one of the times I talked to him in Nashville, and I, I asked him if he remembered uh, the you know the the dog log album, and he actually lit up. And uh, I was with Don Hart, and uh, and he immediately turned to Don Hart and started explaining to him, you know, about. Uh, he was talking about how everybody was booing the band and screaming, oh, you suck. And like, and he was just like, he was absolutely elated. The band was just having such a blast. The the Warren Haynes, this was before it was cool to bash everything that Warren Haynes does um, on Twitter. Um, and the, <laughs> the, the Warren Haynes stuff was just unbelievable. Um, so yeah, this one, and again, listen to the stash. Um, but yeah, this one, uh, it's impossible for me to separate just the music from my experience. Cause my experience, this is a tier one show from the almost 200 that I've seen. So yeah. And, and, and you know, I think, I think as we, as we get to the, the shows that are at the tier hot tiers that are, sorry, the shows that are at the tiers above this, it'll start to become clear why as great as this show is, it's not necessarily a tier, uh, a tier one, tier two, tier three show for the month. I, I would like to respond to uh, something that Drew said. Um, it's in that it's true. Uh, Warren Haynes was getting a lot of love on Twitter in this time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Warren is actually the reason I think why this tape circulated so heavily. Mm-hmm. It was oh, yeah. such a big, it was such a big deal that Warren sat in with fish that this tape circulated like wildfire. Well, I mean, for context, collecting ta- he yeah. was the, you know, he was still with the almonds in that first yep. run of the almonds and government mule was a, a new thing and it was a hot new thing. And some of us were really, really jazzed about it. And, uh, uh, but we're old enough that we say, say things like jazzed about it. You know? um, <laughs> and- so, so we, we got, uh, we got Drew's take uh, having been in attendance on all the antics that night. Cause I would definitely call this an antics filled show. Um, sure. cr- Chris, in your mind, does do all of the antics help or hurt its case? Ooh. Ooh. I think, dun, the dun, an- dun. you know, <laughs> I think if I was going to weigh the antics more heavily, um, it would be ranked higher. And I think if I was going to weigh the antics less, it would be ranked lower. Because if you don't weigh the bust outs and the antics, you're really looking at a very good Bowie, uh, probably the fourth best Harry Hood of the month. And a you know a very good Reba, but not not the best Reba of the month. So like the month is just so damn good 
that it's, and we're, as Drew said, we're just going to say this over and over and over, um, that, you know, I think with the antics are what keeps it where it is. Okay. The month is so good that I literally woke my mother up at 2.30 in the morning over a tier five show. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we could, while we're talking about that, that uh, Elvis thing here, maybe this is the moment where we could just comment on the fact that uh, the Suspicious Minds uh, fish performances from this uh, this tour with the cape and the, the lights inside the cape were uh, absolutely hilarious and they a were. lot of fun. Agreed. Um, and I so Chris it. did a, a, a suspicious mind. Did that push things up a tier? No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to answer that. Uh, <laughs> but I had a lot of fun seeing that song. So guys, we're going to, we're going to start tier the next tier, tier four at the end of this, the part one of this. And then we're going to pick that up uh, next time and, and go into the rest of the shows. Um, the, the one that's going to fall into this category. And again, I think you said, Chris, that within tiers, there's not necessarily a ranking. So this seems a little bit arbitrary, but the last show we're going to talk about tonight, at least is, um, 12, five, which is the, the last night of the two night, um, Amherst run. Cool. Um, yeah, th this show is uh, just one of my favorite shows. Um, I think it's one of the more under-the-radar shows uh, of the month. Um, the audience tapes of it are absolutely gorgeous. Yes. And, um, you know, that that was probably a big reason why I fell in love with this show early, is that my tape just sounded so pristine. Um, you know, the, the big highlights here is that the Bathtub Gin is a 24-minute absolute monster and yeah, at the time really at the time the gin was played it was the first or set the either the best or second best gin ever depending on what your thoughts are on what your thoughts are on uh murat theater uh and it pretty much was a top three gin until the song really opened up in 97 um and even to this day you could probably still make an argument that it's a top 10 version um beyond the gin uh the harry hood is uh in my opinion the best hood of the month and it's also my personal favorite version um i'm not going to argue that it's the best version of the song ever played uh there's the fall 94 kind of runaway freight train versions that are just so damn good uh the alive one version 10 20 kent state um, and then you have some of the 2003 versions that open up, get type two and get really out there like uh, Camden, Camden 2003. Uh, I believe it was Charlotte 72503. Uh, Vegas uh, 215.03 got out there. But as far as being just a perfect example of that song with just incredible phrasing and an incredible peak, uh, it's tops for me. And then I'm not, I didn't even get to the Bowie of the first set and the Bowie is another <laughs> must hear version. There's also yeah, a well, great, I'm blue. I'm lonesome in that first set. <laughs> <laughs> the, the gin is outrageous. Um, Drew, do you, do you feel similarly about this show? I do, uh, in particular, the gin and the hood. And I, I I bet if the Bowie was in the second set, again, this is back to the days of tapes. So I had the first set, and I did listen to it, but the second set was like never far from my tape deck at all. Um, the, the hood actually is what I play for any professional drummer that wants to hear fish. Is, that's the thing. Um, and I've been 
threatening to write a blog post for Fishnet for a long time, like for long enough that it's probably never going to happen. Uh, but where <laughs> where I talk about, um, you know, like focusing, like choosing a jam to focus on just page from the beginning all the way to the end and one for Trey and one for Fishman and one for Mike. And, uh, you know, there are a number that I have in mind for each of them. But this would be the jam that, uh, well, and actually there's a number of them from the, the week of Pog from New Year's is another one for Fishman. Um, shit, that's one for all four of them. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, but this hood is just Fishman. It's, it's just, uh, it's unbelievable. The power and the finesse and the patience and the sustained energy. And as chop just said, the, the phrasing it's, um, it's easy to play loud. Uh, it's not easy to, uh, to, to, to start well, start softly and to have like this hood is basically like just one gigantic crescendo. And to do that is um, it's not just physically demanding, but mentally demanding. I don't care if you're playing classical music or you're a jam band or you're in a jazz combo or whatever. Um, just having the it's it's really hard to do that. And uh, and this band, because they had all those extra gears, uh, they had more gears at their disposal, I would say, than at any time in their history. Um, for this month, um, then yeah, the it's just yeah, it's maniacal his playing and that gin. Yes, is again, it's 24 minutes. I just listened to this on the anniversary and preparation for this, and it, it's a really it's a really special jam. It's very it's quite unique. Um, it's not a typical it's not a typical gin, but it's just a fascinating musical conversation. And the other thing that um, that I that I was I was struck by just in general for this month that is true of every single show of this entire month, including the lower tier ones, is that all of the composed stuff um, all is just executed uh, nearly flawlessly. Um, yeah. I mean, and there are. The Squirming Coil from New Year's is maybe the, I think that's the most interesting jam that's ever happened. The conversation between Trey and Paige in that is just spectacular. The reason I'm bringing it up is because Trey absolutely chews on about 30 seconds of composed part of that Squirming Coil because he wrote songs that are just ridiculously complicated and he just kind of got over his skis and whatever. But the... The, if you listen to like the the lizards from uh, from this show or the opening horn or really any of the the composed stuff from Bowie, um, it's not just playing the right notes at the right time. If you if you think about music as uh, it, music is like speech and notes are like words and then phrases are like sentences and then you know you get bigger chunks that are paragraphs, etc. It's not just putting the words in the right place right when siri or google assistant talk it it sounds it's starting to sound freakishly good but in general you can tell it's a computer the flow isn't there and just the the flow of everything even as i think it was matt who talked about the elevated tempos for the whole month like the the flow of absolutely everything all the pickup notes lead directly to the downbeats all of the all the the weight is the same of all the i mean there's just so many layers of it and just the execution of all of that type one stuff is just it's just magical. That's a band that's at the height of their powers and also has been playing these tunes for two and a half straight months and sound checking. And that's back when they, you know, none of them had kids. They, they, they just, they, they, you know, lived, breathed and shat fish. I mean, that's like, that's all they did all the time. You know, you, that's quotable. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the, so that I just wanted to throw that in at some point during these two episodes that all of that stuff was just, just otherworldly. The way it's the the way it sounds like they're just daring each other to play faster and faster in the composed pieces. Yep. It, it just blows me away every time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
Absolutely. That's a good point. And I've I've noticed that too, going back to these shows, not that, you know, I hear a lot of flubs in 3.0 because, you know, I don't, I don't hear many at all. But, um, you know, if you listen to these, you, you might hear, you might hear a little bit tighter, tighter playing. It's, it's, it's pretty remarkable. And if I could comment on that a little bit, cause I've been there, any, any professional musician has been depending on what it is, but I, some of these songs are so difficult and they don't play them that often. That's the other thing is that you look up, like at one point I looked up how many Bowies they played in 94 and 95, just those two years. And it's, it's well more than all Bowies in 3.0 combined. Oh yeah. Um, well, yeah. Which, and so just the number of reps and then how compressed those reps are. Uh, but the, when you have to focus like that hard, it's the opposite of being in a flow state uh, in a flow state. If you're a, uh, you know, you, you read the inner game of tennis and like a great tennis player is not thinking about how they are holding the racket and, and how far back the racket goes on a backhand, et cetera, when they're competing at Wimbledon. I mean, that you do all that work. You absolutely, you don't just like through osmosis learn how to play tennis, but you get into this flow state. And uh, a lot of the stuff nowadays, you can tell that they are concentrating so hard to get through it, at least at times. And it can be a different person each time that there's not the level of communication that was happening before, where at this point in, in history, in December 95, somebody could just change a little thing. It could be a note length. It could be an accent that was added or taken away or whatever. And the whole band would react on a dime because again, all of this stuff, even the complex stuff was in this flow state. And there's a lot of different terms you can use for that. And when you are using your conscious, uh, you know, uh, mind to have to think about where to put the fingers and et cetera, then you uh, you can't, by definition, be also reacting and interacting with the other people playing at the at the same time on the same level. And that's really, I think, the difference that we hear. Even so, a lot of times, even when they hit the notes, now you can tell it's just not nearly as clean, which is the easiest way to put it. Uh, but the tone isn't as good. It's not as pure. Um, you know, again, it's the it's the the flow of the lines is is not there. There was one thing you said in there, Drew, um, that was one of the big takeaways for me as I listened to a lot of stuff from this month over the last couple of days, and that's the um, the reaction of all the band members if something goes wrong. Um, they all jump on it very, very quickly um, to the point where you know. And, and now I feel like if something happens. It's almost like, all right, how do we get out of this gracefully? Whereas right. back then, they definitely saw it as an opportunity. Um, there was one, and I can't remember what show it was. There was a Yamar where they completely botched the ending. Trey played that last, uh, the last chord, and Fishman just kept the beat going for some reason. And you can tell that it was a mistake. But instead of, you know, Trey kind of probably, you know, giving Fishman a dirty look and saying, okay, you know, play four and then, you know, uh, play four measures and then stop or something like that. He started chanting something. And then, you know, you hear like, you know, Mike come in with a, with a line or something like that. It's, it's like every, every, uh, you know, off script moment is an opportunity. Uh, and, and it takes an unbelievable amount of concentration, like you said, to, to be able to jump on those. What's that, yep. what's that, uh, gag about, uh, a Prince, the line about Prince, whereas if he played a, a bad note, he'd play it again and it would become a right note. Yep. It is kind of, you know, when, when you listen to, to these older shows, it's not that they nail everything every time. Uh, it's that when they miss something, they power through it. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, now when now when they miss something, they they sound tentative around it. And, you know, I'm far from a musician, so I'm not going to dissect it, uh, dissect it too much. But, you know, when the band only plays a limited amount of shows per year um, and doesn't practice together that much per year, you know, you can't expect them to play like they used to. Right. The, the last thing I'll say is that, um, you know, I, I'm always preaching to my students that there are two punctuation marks that you can play any note or any phrase with. One is a question mark, which the goal is to never play with a question mark ever. The other is an exclamation point. And that becomes very difficult when the muscle memory isn't there, when something goes wrong. If you are consciously noting that it's not going correctly, then at that point you are not issuing commands. Uh, Trey's guitars are beautiful. They are stupid. They don't know whether it's going well. It's not going well. Trey's fingers are stupid. They don't know whether it's going well or not going well. It's all it's all in the brain, and you have to be issuing statements and commands. And so when you start to analyze, and boy, it can be really hard uh, to not be uh, thinking like, holy shit, this is not going well. So um, you don't need to be in front of 20,000 people to have that. Uh, you know, I've had that experience in front of a couple thousand people, and it's not a fun experience. But if you can, um, when you're really in the zone and have a swagger about you collectively, when it's not going right, you just you just ignore that. And you. I always tell my students, you have to allow the next note or phrase to be the greatest thing that you've ever played in your life, no matter what the hell just came out of your amp or your tuba or your voice or whatever. <laughs> and nice. that that's easy when it's easy, and it's really not easy when it's not easy. Um, and at this point in time, I think that they were they had a swagger about them. You know, there was exclamation points. The soft stuff had exclamation points. Everything, slow, fast, everything except for the mid-second set Son of a Mules, which can die in fire (laughs) we're gonna we're gonna well i I just want to put an exclamation point on this part of the episode now sorry that didn't work um but jonathan (laughs) son of a mule is still not great um but (laughs) so guys we why do you guys have your bad opinions at me i'm (laughs) feeling attacked so um guys uh, this has been really fun so we have we have another um set of shows to to walk through um in in part two of this episode but this has been really fun and um drew who's at drew fish um, on twitter and chris who's at chopaganda on twitter we really appreciate you guys uh joining us for this and we it's it's amazing that we've we've only made it halfway through december but we've already heard and talked about a shitload of good music so excited for what's to come so thank you guys for for doing this and putting it together Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. And um, if you guys haven't yet, give us a review on on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's helpful for us. And um, if you see Brad, send him send him send him back to us. Um, we'll see you guys. We'll see you guys in a little while with part two. Um, keep on rocking.
Osiris. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? <laughs> How's that going? Do you get 20? 20? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2020-D.com. Soundtalentmedia.com or on your favorite podcast app.